Matthew chapter 8, 16, verse 18. And I also, I love this verse. And I love to talk about what I'm going to talk about today. It's about the church. Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter on this rock. And the rock that he's talking about building on is none other than his confession and the relationship and none other than Jesus Christ. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If you want to find out about the early church, if you want to find out about church today, if you want to find out about church growth today, then all you've got to do or one of the main things you do is read the verses that we're going to read now. It's found in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And we'll begin up a little, if you will, verse 40. And with many other words he testified, Peter did, and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now all who believed were together. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Keep us awake. Help us to stay alert. Help our minds, dear God, to stay alert, our ears to stay open, our hearts to be receptive as we plant seed today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're talking about the church, not just the church as a whole, not just the church that is part of in, here in North Carolina or whether it's in all over the United States or around the world. We're also talking about the local church, how important it is. I have here as the title to our sermon, if you'll notice it, a candle in the darkness, which I believe today is the church. You see, the moon has no inherent light, <clears throat> light of its own. No. The moon has no light. The moon gets its light from the sun, and we see this beautiful night light, which is the moon. And that's the way we are. That's the way we are as a church. That's the way we are as individuals. We are reflection of Jesus Christ. We reflect his character. We reflect his love. We reflect his mercy. Without him, we have no light. But the church is a light in a dark culture today. I don't have to go into detail to us about how dark this culture, how dark this society, how dark even our nation is today. It is, it is sad. But the church is important. Notice what I have written here. 
in the introduction, I can't imagine where my life would be without the Christian church. <clears throat> we don't need the church anymore. And there's a reason that people say that, and I have lists here, as uh, Ray Johnston tells us. He, he, he goes through these steps, and he speaks concerning what is wrong with the church. But when we look at the church, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know where any of us would be were it not for the church, not only the, the, the church as a whole, but also for the lo local church. When the Christian church gets it right, <clears throat> it's the most powerful force for God and for good on the planet. you believe that? I do. I believe God established the church. God established institutions. Yes, he did. The marriage institution was established before the church was established. But God Almighty established the church. And you find throughout the book of uh, uh, the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you find where the church became established. And it grew. It grew immensely. But something's happened to the church. We want our church to be like the early church. There's a difference today if we're not careful in the early church and the characteristics that made up the early church and the church today. So what's changed? What's changed? I, <clears throat> you can find all kinds of statistics on church attendance. And walking in the word ministry reveals these shocking numbers concerning the church and Christianity in America today. Listen to this, if you can follow it. Of the 250,000 Protestant churches in America, of the 250,000 Protestant churches in America, 200,000 are either stagnant with no growth at all or declining. That's 80% of the churches today. 4,000 churches close their doors every year. Shocking. There is less than half of the number of churches today than there were 100 years ago. 3,500 people leave the church every single day. And then one more since 1950 there are one-third fewer churches in the United States. Why? What's happened to the church? Here you heard me read in the second chapter of Acts that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They were added 2,000, 3,000, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So what's happened to the church today? Uh, somebody says the local church is not important. Let me give you some reasons why I believe that the local church, the local assembly, the local body of Christ is important. Number one, God's word endorses the habit of meeting together in church. And we know the familiar scripture that's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. And you want to see some of them, they're out on the golf course today. 
Some of them still probably haven't even rolled over in the morning. They still haven't gotten up. As a matter of some is, but in exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, the day of the coming of the Lord approaching. So here we're encouraged by the writer of Hebrews for us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So the Bible, the scripture, the New Testament endorses it. Also, the local church is a central part of God's strategic plan for your spiritual growth. We would not be where we are today spiritually were it not for the local church. And how important it is for that to happen. Number three, you need the voice of the church to counteract all the deception that is crammed into your mind throughout the week. Would you say that's true, that all the bombardment, whether it's radio, television, newsprint, whether it's coworkers or whoever it might be, the world is not in favor of you serving God. Many are not. And so we need to go to the church like going to the filling station and getting refilled. It is very, very important. Number four, it will heal your loneliness. I love fellowshipping with people at the church. We have prayer every Friday night, except this coming Friday. We have prayer every Friday night. It's wonderful to come and pray an hour. The lights are down. The soft music is playing. And you get to sit and talk to Jesus and fellowship God's people. There's nothing like it. I would encourage you to be part of that. Spend some time during the week, not just praying in your prayer closet secretly, and that's great, but spend some time during the week with a brother or sisters or brothers or sisters. Spend time. It's a wonderful time to get rid of loneliness, isolation, selfishness. It does something for you to hug a brother and hug a sister and to love each other and have them to love you and to pray for them. Number five, you follow the pattern set forth in the New Testament. Talking about attending church. Talking about the importance. But he has listed here five reasons people don't go to church as they one time did. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you are here. But let's look at it. People are treated like outsiders. Many Americans feel like they don't belong to the church. We have inside customs. We sing inside songs. And we have insider language. For a lot of people, they don't know what we're talking about because we talk that church talk. And we have to be careful. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to be careful that people don't understand what we're talking about. And that includes a lot of things. I've been pastoring here 48 years and I've had not to change my message, but to change the, uh, the preaching of the message to somewhat. Because sometimes people, many times, they don't know what we're talking about. They don't know what we're saying. So the language, 
Number two, many feel the church is disconnected to the real world. Ed Cole said this. I love Ed Cole. He's now since gone to meet the Lord, but I enjoyed being with him. And his, he said, we preach separation, but we practice isolation. This past, this past Wednesday, a number of people gathered together here at the church, took their vans and buses or their cars or whatever, and went to a local na- neighborhood here. And I love that. Someone says, well, that's just not my thing. Well, every person is called to be active in the kingdom of God. I'll get to that in just a moment. Feel disconnected from the, the, the church. It's important. Most Christians and churches are disconnected from the people and needs in their community. How long? Ask, I want to ask myself this. How long has it been since I have gotten out of my house, my yard, and gone to the community, whether it's there in my neighborhood or down the street or across town, and gotten out of my church, out of my house, and reached out to those in the community? Number three, many feel church is all about money, genuine servanthood, and generosity attracts the attention of, not generosity, and generosity attracts the attention of, of, let me read that again because I want to get it across. Genuine servanthood and generosity attracts the attention of the world. And I want you to notice what I have written here. Christians are called to be generous, but the church is never called to manipulate people into generosity. That's a good statement. And you hear it all the time if you're not careful especially on television. They're trying to manipulate and coax people to give. Listen, I'll get to giving in a moment, but it's important that we understand that we give because we love God. Number four, people are fed up with churches that have convictions but no compassion. These young people came back from forward, not only with passion but compassion. And we need both. The church needs that compassion. The the world needs to know that the church loves them. Not just telling them they're going to go to hell. Not preaching hell, fire, and brimstone to them. But the church needs that compassion. People respond to the church when our compassion breaks down barriers. It's one of the best statements I'll make today. And that compassion will, no matter what that person looks like, no matter, you know, what they say or do, we can still love them. You've heard me tell the story of a Saturday night at the old church. I was playing the guitar and singing. It's pretty late on Saturday night, maybe for for being there, about nine o'clock. And there was a figure that walked in the back. The lights were dim. And he came in and sat down on my left, and I continued to sing and play the guitar. Later, he got up, and he walked up on the platform, and he said, could I play your guitar? And I said, yes. First of all, I was a little reluctant because he was drinking. But I said, yes. And he played the guitar. 
we finally got to talk and he told me how that the Sunday before he came that on Saturday that he went to a church here in Durham and this is back when there were hippies and men, young men wore long hair and they did not dress the best in the world and sometimes did not smell the best in the world and and so he went to this church and he went down to the altar when the invitation was given. The preacher came and knelt down beside him because he looked like he looked physically. When he knelt down beside of him, he said, young man, you get up from this altar, you go out and clean yourself up, and then you come back and kneel in this altar. I know that's true because I was in that preacher's church some years later preaching a funeral. I went back in the back and they had rules and regulations on the wall. Back then I let my hair grow a little bit long. It was not long, but it was a little bit longer than it is now. And it touched the collar and the, and the rules have said you couldn't belong unless if, 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 if as a man your hair touched the collar. So he told this young man to, to get up and leave the church because he didn't look right and so many churches are that way. So many are that way. Like the young man that comes into the church and the service was going on and the church was packed and everyone was standing singing and everyone looked like, wow, just stepped out of a bandbox and he didn't know where to sit, he didn't know what to do. And so he started down the aisle to find a place to sit and he could not find one so he got to the front pew and sat right on the floor. People's heads were turning and people were aghast at the way this young man looked. And as the service continued, they didn't know what to think about him sitting there in the floor looking the way he looked. And all of a sudden, an elderly deacon got out of his seat and came down and sat next to him in the aisle. And there they enjoyed the service. That young man that came to that church, my church, that night, the next Sunday, he came, received Christ as his personal Savior and became a minister of the gospel. The church don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the church needs to care for people we need that compassion. Number five, churches have replaced truth with tradition. Look at what I say. The moment tradition becomes more sacred than truth, the church becomes ineffective. Is it my preference? See, I like certain things because I was raised years ago and I like men in ties and white shirts and suits. It was kind of hard for me to get to, used to people dressing different than that. But I know I'm not more saved than you are because I have a tie on this morning. We need to understand those things. Is it, is it a tradition or is it whatever? You know, it's important. When, Christ, when the Christian church gets it right, as I said, it's the most powerful force for God on the planet. The problem is, listen at me, for so long we've gotten it wrong. It's important. 
that the church be alive and well and thriving and growing. Can you say amen? I wanted you to notice what number two I have here. The early church majored in these six concepts. First of all, they believed God uses everyone. There were no spectators. They were participators. Someone said, well, this week is VBS, so I don't have to worry about it. We don't have Wednesday night. We don't have Friday night prayer, so I can just get, sit back in my seat and watch my television. Every one of us should be here this week. We should stop being spectators and be participators. Know that we're involved. Know that these young people and these young kids, that, that they're part of us and we're going to be praying for them, standing with them, encouraging them. We're going to do what we can. Everyone is a player. You see, spectating was not an option with the early church. Every one of them were involved in the kingdom work for God. The early church was filled with servants. Number two, they lived to unleash compassion. I just read verses 45 through 47. And they have structured these verses like this. Look at it. it, it it's just amazing and it, it helps us to understand it better. Number two, under number two, Roman numeral, they lived to unleash compassion. First of all, there were good deeds, verse 45. Second of all, there, were, there was good will, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And thirdly, there was good news. That's when 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In other words, if, we, if, if we're not careful, we get this backwards. We want to go out and reach people for Jesus without helping them without showing them love, without showing compassion. It's important. It's important that these are in order. First, the good deeds. What can we help you with? I'm not here just to get you to receive Jesus Christ. I'm here to bless you and to help you. And I want to reach out a hand. Most cities have blood banks and food banks. Blood banks and food, food banks. We need to be a church that's willing to give and to reach out to people and do those good deeds. Number three, they exchange self-centered living for sacrificial giving. Somebody says, I don't believe in paying tithes. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 2. They sold everything they had and gave it to him. That was not communism. They were not forced to do it. They chose to do it. Now I'm here to tell us today that God expects us to sell everything that we have and give it. But I am here to tell you that I believe that there should be, first of all, giving to the Lord. Whatever God has laid on your heart, the percentage uh, that God has laid on your heart. And then I think we should give tithes and offerings be, uh, and, and give beyond tithes and offerings 
sacrificial. Let me ask you something. How long has it been since you've given sacrificial to the Lord? A little quaint. Starting with Jesus, all expansions of the kingdom of God is the result of somebody's sacrifice. Somebody pays a price. They have worked so hard to provide what you see here on this platform and what you see in every room if you'll go to them. I love this theme. I think it's a great theme for VBS. And I think today if we, you and I, we realize it's a great opportunity to usher new young people, moms and dads, not only into the kingdom of God, but usher them into this church. Good place to say amen. That was body week. I think it's a good place to usher people into the kingdom of God and into the church. You get there. You get there. They were passionate for the last and the least. So many people are easily forgotten. When I go to a restaurant, I... I want to leave a good tip because 75 to 90% of the time, if not more, I witness to my waitress or waiter about Jesus Christ in some measure. And I don't want to witness to them about Jesus and leave a lousy tip. What a great testimony. But a lot of times the busboy that's picking up the dishes and cleaning up the table and cleaning the floor. I want to give him or her something. If we're not careful, we forget that person that's, that's out there. That, oh, we don't even notice them. There's so many people that feel like they are not, you know, they're not part of what's going on. Let's reach out, love them, and draw them in and let them know we love them. Let me, let me say it again. People who are easily forgotten, the least. He said, as you do it unto the least of these, my children, you do it unto me. Notice number five. They were passionate about people far from God. Those, that's the hardest to reach. I don't believe there is anyone that is so far from God that God's love through God's people can't reach out and draw them like a magnet. And we're going to do it. We want to do it. Hallelujah. Those that are far from God, no matter how hard. Listen, if God can save the apostle Paul, when you look at his past and God can save him, God can save anybody. It doesn't matter where they are. I believe that the power of God is greater than alcohol. I believe that the power of God is greater than drugs. I believe that the power of God is greater than any sin that has us bound today. God cares. Would you say amen? They were passionate about people far from God. And I'll end. And they were called to full commitment to both grace and truth. You've heard me say that the hardest, one of the hardest things to have in church is balance. Balance. 
If you're not careful, you're always running between death and a nut. And you're talking about balance when it comes to grace and truth. And the scripture is filled with verses concerning grace and truth. There was a time when we could tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we'd tell you like we wanted you to know it. And if you, we'd tell you you're going to go to hell and act it like we wanted you to go to hell. I've, I've been there. I was there. Listen, I believe in the truth. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not some man-made-up truth, but I'm talking about God's scriptural truth. It's important. But now we've gone from that legalism to grace. And now grace, you can do anything you want to, live any way you want to, and still be a Christian. Not only be a Christian, you can be a member of a church. Not only the member of the church, you can be a leader in the church, and you can speak in tongues and go to heaven. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. I don't care. It's greasy grace. You'll slide right into hell. I believe that there needs to be a balance. And I, need to, I believe there needs to be a balance in the church. You say, Brother Don, is that scriptural? Uh-huh. Let me give you an example of, 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 of grace and truth. You remember the story in the Bible? I think it's in John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. You remember the story in the Bible where the Pharisees, the religious leaders, brought a woman to Jesus that they caught in the very act of adultery? You remember that story? And they brought, him, brought her to Jesus. They bring the guy that was partnering with her. That's something. They brought her to Jesus. And they threw her down at his feet and said, Master, the law says that she must die. In other words, the law said that she must be stoned. What do you think about it? They thought they had him. I mean, they just really, they were always trying to entrap Jesus and never one time did they ever outdo him. He, he, just, he just knew what to say. So rather than say, well, let me tell you, rather than start out preaching, he just stooped down and started writing on the ground. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what he wrote? I don't know what he wrote, but I would love to know what Jesus wrote on the ground. And they kept on. What do you want to do with her? What do you want us to do with her? He stood up and said, ye without sin cast the first stone. Wow. And they were convicted in their hearts. And one by one, they threw those stones down and turned and walked away from the oldest to the youngest. They walked away. Jesus said something that is so important. He said, is there anyone here that's going to condemn you? Is anyone, where, where are your condemners? She said, there are none, Lord. And then here comes grace and truth. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Now, here's a woman that's called in the very act of adultery. 
And yet he had so much love and so much compassion. He told this woman, neither do I condemn thee. And then here's come truth. What is it? Go and sin no more. Grace and truth is a great team. They work together. Does that mean when Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, that that means that she's forgiven and she can go out and continue to commit adultery? No. Does that mean truth is belched out and 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 you can't sin anymore and and no you just balance those two and it works it works very well how about you my friend what if we stood before the lord today what if we had to stand before the lord today what would he say to us you say pastor i've been too bad i've committed too many sins i I have been wrong so many times. I've just, there's this cloud hanging there. Let me tell you, no matter what you have done or what you've not done, no matter how sinful you've been, there is nothing you've done that Jesus Christ won't forgive you of your sins. He'll forgive you. If you're here today and you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you say, Pastor, I've heard that before. Well, This may be the last time you'll hear it. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be, you know, contrary. I'm just saying we need to know that our relation with God is sure.